Hello and welcome all of my artists, entrepreneurs, rebels, and creatives of all kinds. This is Raven's Fine Art. My name is Raven Kushner, and today the book club begins. We're gonna be talking about this book right here, which is How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci, Seven Steps to Genius Every Day by Michael J. Gelb. So the word genius is one that we normally apply to superstars. So if you don't think that that word could apply to you, you might be surprised by today's conversation. So stay tuned. So let's get into it. So the reason why this book appealed to me in the first place is someone that I respect recommended it. Um, I follow the 48days.com uh, founder, Dan Miller, and he wrote a book called 48 Days to the Work That You Love. It's an amazing book, so if you ever thought about entrepreneurism or if you just wanna find a better job position, this is an excellent book to read. So I've been following him and his community for several years now. So when, he, he, when someone like that recommends a book to you, you kind of take it seriously. So, so I got into it. Plus, obviously, Leonardo da Vinci was an artist, among other things. So the subject matter appealed to me as well. So the reason why this book is really interesting is that Leonardo da Vinci is an example of sorts of what is possible with the human brain. Um, so one of the things that I really loved about the book is that it does talk about the brain in general, which really fascinates me. In one of my past videos where I, uh, the subject matter was coming out spiritually, I talked about the limitless nature of the brain. So in the introduction to the book, they talk a little bit about that and the nature of intelligence. So a few of the facts that stood out to me in the introduction is that one thing is 95% of what they know about the human brain has been discovered within the last 20 years. Now that's really amazing because it just goes to show how complex the brain is that it wasn't even possible to know as much as we know um, except for in the last 20 years when they had the technology to find it out. Another thing that was interesting, and I agree with this, but it was cool to have it confirmed, is that intelligence is not something that is fixed at birth. So I think a lot of times people feel discouraged if perhaps they were not <clears throat> superstars in school, or maybe they feel like they don't come from a highly intellectual family, or they just have a lot of bad baggage and memories around learning, they may just feel like, well, that's just the limit of what I can do. And what's cool is that not only is the intellect not fixed, but it doesn't actually decline with age. It's a use it or a lose it kind of a thing. So if you continue to use your brain, um, even late, late into your life, your brain can continue to develop new synapses. So um, there is no excuse. You have the full potential from now, no matter how old you are, whether you're a little kid or whether you're in your 90s, you can still learn uh, without limits. Now, 
one of the other things that was cool to learn in the introduction is that intelligence is not only located in the brain. Um, it's, there are neurons associated with learning and with intellect all throughout our bodies. And one of the key places is actually in the gut. Now that particular piece of information I learned in another book called Limitless by Jim Quick, um, but that intelligence is located in the gut as well. So when someone talks about, or when you talk about having a gut instinct, that's not only slang, there is actually some scientific truth to that. So that was pretty cool. Um, so then after the introduction, they kind of, well, in the introduction, after talking about the brain, they also talked about the Renaissance in general. And obviously the Renaissance is a very well-studied period of time. Um, one of the things that I found interesting in the discussion was the particular change in mindset during that period regarding basically human potential. Because up until then, the church had a stronghold on people's um, knowledge. Their, um, they, they basically had everything. They had the money, they had the power, and they had all of the knowledge. Um, but what happened was they had gone through the Black Plague, which killed off something like half of the population in Europe. So people started to question their long-held beliefs because what they saw was that the Black Plague was something that affected everybody. So it didn't matter if you were a religious leader or a peasant, if you were wealthy or if you were poor, um, it hit everybody and anybody. There was no rhyme or reason to it. So it really started to shake people's fundamental uh, dogma. And I think it opened, well not I think, it did open up the field to to basically scientific knowledge, to artistic knowledge, to commerce in general. It basically shook the church from the center of the universe. And it made me think about our period of time today going through COVID. It's obviously not the same thing. Most people do recover from COVID, but it is really testing people's fundamental beliefs. There are people who despite any kind of scientific evidence or clinging to what they feel and what they believe and what they suspect, um, not necessarily based on any kind of scientific reasoning, but on a, well, this is how I feel, this is what I think, or this is who I'm suspicious of. And so we're really seeing kind of a split in people's mindsets and what they hold dear and how they process information and periods like that, I think, are rife for opening up um, new discoveries and new because as that split happens, as people kind of, you know, line up along one side or the other, it really creates this sort of energetic chaos that opens up the field to new discoveries and new ways of being. So it'll be interesting to see once the COVID mania is completely done, um, what kind of lies on the other side. So getting into the book, um, one of the first things they talk about are the seven intelligences. And what's cool about that is that 
we tend to think of intelligence, at least in school, it's kind of an, if you're intelligent, you're intelligent. That means that you get good grades, you learn things quickly, and by things, meaning reading and writing and math. <laughs> so if you don't do those things, then it's easy to be labeled as not intelligent, and then those kind of negative feelings and beliefs can follow you throughout the rest of your life. Um, and one of the things I talked about too in the introduction is that I mentioned it already is that the intellect is not fixed at birth and that it doesn't decline. Um, but your IQ doesn't only measure um, your innate intelligence. In fact, it doesn't measure that at all. It measures what you've learned thus far. So it's not like a fixed thing. Like if you have a certain IQ, then that's it. Your IQ can raise and lower depending upon what you do with your brain. So the seven different intelligences that the book mentions are, the first one is logical, mathematical. Um, obviously, you know, the scientists and the mathematicians have this kind of intelligence. We have verbal linguistic. So writers, um, poets, people like that. Spatial mechanical. So there you have your engineers and your sculptors, people like that. Uh, musical, so you have your musical geniuses like Mozart and Beethoven and so on. Uh, the next intelligence is bodily or kinesthetic. So you have your uber athletes and people that achieve high in, in that field. Uh, next is interpersonal and social. So people who are really, really good with people. You think of people like Barbara Walters or Oprah Winfrey. Um, have that intelligence and then intrapersonal or self-knowledge so um, you have philosophers and um, people like Deepak Chopra um, spiritual leaders Thich Nhat Hanh uh, folks like that so those are the seven different intelligences so whether or not you were good in school you definitely have the seeds for one of these intelligences um, so the next thing we're going to talk about is an overview of the seven da Vincian principles. And these are basically the seven different facets of genius and how to develop your own personal genius. Uh, the first one is, and they're all <laughs> listed in Italian. So excuse my miserable Italian accent, but the first one is curiosità. And that is an insatiably curious approach to life and an unrelenting quest for continuous learning. So that is a good one. Uh, the next Da Vincian principle is demonstrazione, a commitment to test knowledge through experience, persistence, and a willingness to learn from mistakes. The next is sensazione, that one is the continual refinement of the senses, especially sight, as the means to enliven experience. Next is sfumato, literally going up in smoke. And what that means is it's a willingness to embrace ambiguity, paradox, and uncertainty. Next is arte scienza. That is the development of the balance between science and art, logic and imagination, basically a whole brain way of thinking. Next is corporalita, the cultivation of grace, ambidexterity, fitness, and poise. 
And lastly is connessione, a recognition of and appreciation for the interconnectedness of all things and phenomena. So I can't wait to get to that one because that is more the thinking of a mystic, which intrigues me greatly. All right, so today's topic is the first one, curiosita. So let's go over the definition of curiosita, which I already mentioned, but it's so good that I wanna read it again. So curiosita is an insatiably curious approach to life and an unrelenting quest for continuous learning. Now, what I love about that language is that's intense, insatiably curious, unrelenting quest for continuous learning. So our subject of the day, Leonardo da Vinci, definitely had that kind of fire, like not just curious, like, oh, I wonder how this happened, but unrelenting quest for knowledge. So he is our hero of the day. Now, the cool thing is that this first chapter, and I imagine the rest of the chapters do as well, they have a self-assessment. So you can see basically where you rate on the scale of curiosita. So these are the following questions. So as I read these, think to yourself, how do I rate regarding that particular aspect? So the first one says, um, so I'll just ask the questions. Do you keep a journal or a notebook to record your insights and questions? Do you take adequate time for contemplation and reflection? Are you always learning something new? When you're faced with an important decision, do you actively seek out different perspectives? Are you a voracious reader? Do you like learning from little children? Are you skilled at identifying and solving problems? Would your friends describe you as open-minded and curious? When you hear or read a new word or phrase, do you look it up and do you make note of it? Do you know a lot about other cultures and are you always learning more? Uh, do you know or are you involved with learning a language other than your native tongue? Do you solicit feedback from your friends relations and or colleagues and lastly straight out do you love learning <laughs> all right so where did you rate on that scale i actually rated pretty high lucky for me we'll see how i do on the rest of the da vincian assessments but i was pretty high on the curiosity scale which i thought was kind of cool um, so one of the things that I learned, um, about this is that, and I guess one of my attractions to art in general is the fact that you are always learning. Um, so my takeaways from the curiosity chapter, um, A is that, that I am pretty curious. So Leonardo and I are like this in terms of that particular, um, trait. <laughs> 
Uh, but one of the things I really liked is that in the back, um, in the back of the chapter, each chapter has a series of exercises. So Curiosita had a series of exercises. So regardless of where you rated on the scale from low to high, there are a series of exercises to help you develop that particular trait. Um, so one of the things they mention is having an ideal hobby. So a lot of times people get lost in their job or career and oftentimes they don't even like their job or their career, um, but they also don't develop any hobbies. It's almost like people think that, well, I don't have time for that or their hobbies are just watching t you know, TV or movies or you know, going out with friends. But, and those things are great and fine, but they don't really develop you. And there's so much more to life than what we tend to focus on. Like there's so much more to you than you may realize. And unless you're really stretching yourself and putting yourself out there, it's really hard to, it's impossible to plumb the full depths of what your particular brain is capable of and to really explore, like there really actually is a genius inside of you. It just hasn't been tapped. And especially if you had negative experiences in school, you may have completely written all that stuff off and just said, well, I'm just lucky to be employed. You know, I'm just going to, you know, go to the bar on the weekend, do my job during the week, you know, take a trip once a year and that's that. But if you develop a hobby, you have a really a chance of learning so much more about yourself and you can even um, create an entirely second career. You don't have to be stuck with what you have now. And one of the things that he said that really, really struck me and something that I really believe in, he said on page 69, he says, the happiest people in the world ask, what if I could find some way to get paid for doing what I love? I love that quote because that's what I'm all about. Um, if you're attracted to this channel at all, um, then that's what it's about. It's about, I'm taking a chance. I don't know what the result is going to be, but I know what I love and I'm going to, to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to try, I'm going to go ahead and step out in faith and whether it ends up becoming something that becomes my second career or not, that's not the point. The point is, is that I'm stretching my brain. I'm stretching myself. I'm learning more about myself every day. And that's what it's all about. Um, another thing that really struck me about this chapter was one of the exercises. Um, it's called 10 Power Questions. And for me, when I'm reading a book, part of it is reading and part of it is just my own reflection. So it wasn't the 10 Power Questions, although those are interesting. You can read those for yourself. They're on page 60. But when I started reflecting as I was reading, I really tuned into why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, I initially thought that I was doing this, you know, pursuing uh, my entrepreneurial dreams for my children because I wanted to leave them something behind. I wanted to have the time to enjoy. Now they're grown, so it's not about, you know, necessarily spending a whole bunch of time with them like when they were little, but it's about leaving a legacy. It's about showing them that there's more to life than just going to work and coming home. Um, and it is partially that, but I had the, the distinct realization that it's not just that, that I'm actually doing what I'm doing for my ancestors. Now, I initially had this thought in college. I went to UCLA and I was an English major and 
you know, um, UCLA, like many colleges, did not used to admit African Americans. Um, we were banned from entrance. So when I got in, I was intimidated. I was very smart, but I was ended up being convinced by, you know, jealous peers that, oh, you only got in because of affirmative action. So it made me feel like, okay, maybe I don't really belong here, which turned out not to be true. I graduated with honors, with high honors. <laughs> you know, I was not out of my league, but people had led me to believe that. But one thing that really pushed me is that, you know, my ancestors did not have a chance to do this. And so I have the chance and I'm not gonna blow it. I'm not gonna party, I'm not gonna waste it. And I took that very seriously and I still do. So part of what I'm doing with trying to create something for myself is for my ancestors. And I ended up writing in the margin of the book, this particular um, piece of writing, which I'm gonna read right now. So what I said was, I do what I do, not just for my kids, but mostly for my ancestors. I will not waste one drop of their blood. Not one of their tears will be wasted in my lifetime. Succeed or fail, I will never stop trying because they never had a chance, but I do. I will make them proud. Now that touches my heart and it's hard not to cry as I read that because I really mean that. I've read the slavery, um, the slave narratives of people who actually lived through that. The, it's not just the rapes, the separation from children, the beatings, the murders that took place, the sodomy that took place, the verbal and physical abuse that took place. It's not only that, but all of those people for generations and generations were denied the very essence of life, which is the ability to live out their unique destiny. They were completely robbed, not only of their future, they were also robbed of their past. They didn't know who they came from. They were completely cut off. And that is evil beyond belief, but that's what happened. And we can't do anything about that. But what I can do is that I can take their pain and use that to fuel my success. And one of the things I also wrote in the book, I asked myself the question, how can I make my ancestors proud? And the answer that I gave myself is that I will use every minute of every day to take the power and the money back that they never had. So that is my fuel, that is my motivation, that is my why, that is my fire. And when you feel like that, it's not a matter of obstacles. It doesn't matter what stands in your way because what, you're, what I'm trying to do matters so much more to me than any possible obstacle that can come my way. So whether I succeed or whether I fall flat on my face is not the point. Each time I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna keep trying because as long as I'm free, I have something that my ancestors never had and I am gonna make them proud no matter what all this stuff ends up looking like. All right, so um, to end this video session and podcast session, I want to finish out with the quote that I loved the most from this book, this first chapter on Curiosita. It is on page 58 
It says busy lives and job responsibilities tend to drive us toward hard conclusions and measurable results. But the exploratory, free-flowing, unfinished, non-judgmental practice of keeping a Da Vincian notebook encourages freedom of thought and expansion of perspective. What I love about that is not only, you know, contrasting the hard and rigid, you know, attitudes that we tend to develop when we're unconscious and contrasting that with the the free-flowing, uh, non-judgmental, um, basically uh, aura of genius. Genius is not rigid. Genius is always expanding. Genius is always asking questions. And so uh, keeping a journal, if you take nothing else away from this first chapter, is something that can help you develop your curiosity. So it's not always about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. So get yourself a journal, get curious, Get the book if you're so inclined and read it along with me. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about the next Da Vincian principle. Until then, be curious, be fabulous. All of my artists, entrepreneurs, rebels, and creatives, till next week. Bye-bye.